Five myths about raising your own food, specifically when your goal is to raise enough food to take you through an entire year. Welcome to episode number 136 of the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris, where we teach families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural, self-sufficient home with or without the full-on homestead. We're going to kind of be unwrapping gardening myths. When it comes to gardening and raising your own food, you're going to find almost everyone that you talk to has an opinion, and most of the time they love to share it, which can be good or bad, depending upon who is giving the advice. Kind of true in all areas of life, right? So just like anything, you have to take advice with a grain of salt, and you have to decide what is going to work for you and your garden or your homestead right now. For this year, this growing season, exactly where you are. Personally, I am a huge fan of testing things to see how it works for me. And if it's someone who I know is an experienced gardener or they've been doing this for a long time, they have a lot of knowledge in this area, then I'll go ahead and take their advice. But when I'm changing anything from the way that we have been doing it, usually what I'll do is I will test a small amount and do the other amount the way, the known way for me or the way we've always done it and I know how it works for us. And I'll test a small control. Then I'll evaluate based upon how that small control does if I'm going to change the way we do things for the rest of the year. But I kind of wanted to address a lot of common things I hear people say, especially in regards to not just having a regular vegetable garden, which I think is fabulous and I think everybody should have a vegetable garden, but really especially if you're looking to kind of up the level, or you're really looking to become self-sufficient and you're wanting to raise enough of, and it may just be one crop when you're starting out, or maybe you raised enough of a crop that took you through an entire year last year, meaning you didn't have to buy it from the store, which is so amazing when you reach that point. So maybe you're looking at bringing in and increasing your crops so that you've got more than just that one item. Or Maybe you've never grown enough of anything to preserve it, to have it go through a whole year, and it's your first year doing that. doesn't really matter where you fall on that, but a lot of this, what I'm going to be talking about, does pertain to more on that level when you're looking to be self-sufficient and raising a full year's worth of food on specific crops. The first misconception that I run into a lot is that you have to have a huge yard or a large homestead, lots of acreage in order to be raising a good majority of your own food. This is not entirely true, you guys. Now, if you're planning on growing a year's worth of food of every single thing that your family was going to eat for a year, then yes, you're going to have to have quite a bit of space. But I stand behind this. Nobody can raise an entire year's worth of their own food all by themselves. Now, stay with me because a lot of people kind of bristle when they hear this. Like, well, the pioneers used to do it and we could do it today if we wanted to. Well, 
the pioneers did a lot more back in the day than we do today, right? I mean, we have the advantage of the internet. You're getting to listen to this podcast. There's a lot of advantages we have now compared to the pioneers. And some would argue that technology has caused a lot of disadvantages to society. And that's a whole other podcast, okay? But my point here is even the pioneers read back through your Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie books, and look back. Even those folks still purchase some staple items from the store. A few of those main things is going to be salt. Very few of us live in an area where there are natural salt licks or natural places where we can go and harvest salt. So salt is something that we're going to be purchasing. And one may want to argue, well, you could live the rest of your life without salt. Let's just say I would not ever have to want to do that. One, your food is going to taste really bland, but we actually need certain levels of salt within our systems. So there's some things that we're always going to have to be purchasing from the store. Now, of course, we probably could all stand to purchase a little bit less from the store than we are and look for ways to increase our food production at home. But my point with this is we grow 100% of our own meat. So we raise all of our own grass-fed, pasture-raised organic beef cattle. We raise our own pork. We have our hens, so we have all of our chickens from our laying hens. And then we also raise a flock of meat chickens that we butcher and process here on the homestead ourselves. And then we are fortunate enough, we live about an hour away from the coast. We're up in the foothills, but in our area of the state, Pacific Northwest, west side of the North Cascade Mountain Range in Washington State. We're about an hour, hour and 20 minutes away from the coast. And we have a small little boat. But as long as we stay in the very, very sheltered bay, we're able to go crabbing. And we have been fortunate enough for the past, oh my goodness, three or four years in a row to catch enough crab. And people have their opinion on eating crab or not eating crab. I'm just going to lay that one there, let it lie. We're able to catch enough crab to keep us through a whole year that we don't have to buy crab from the store either. And we also do get some salmon. Not that most, I mean, some people may try to do their own salmon on their property. I'm not sure, but we don't do any type of fish raising or hydroponics at the moment, but we're able to forage those items. And then on years that my husband is fortunate, we get a venison or we'll get a deer as well. We do pretty much all of our own meat production here. How much space does that actually take, though, to do 50% of your fruits and vegetables? You guys, not as much space as you would think. We're going to get really specific here on the square footage, okay? So I'm able to grow a year's worth of tomato products, so I'm talking all of our own salsa, all the tomato sauce, which is then turned into pasta sauce, pizza sauce. Then I use tomato. I don't buy condensed tomato soup. I don't buy condensed any kind of canned soup from the store, but I don't buy specifically for this example, condensed tomato soup. So for any casseroles or if I just want to make tomato soup, I use my home canned tomato sauce and I will use that in place of it. So enough for a family of four, my husband and our two kiddos, my son, my oldest child is going to be 13 next week. So he is starting to enter those teenage years where he's beginning to eat a lot more. My daughter will be nine in another month. So just so you kind of know about their ages and approximate. For our family of four, and that includes doing some dehydrated tomatoes as well and whole canned tomatoes or half, I usually half them, canned tomatoes. We grow all of our tomato products and some peppers in a 10 by 20 foot area. That's just the size, you guys, of a fairly small patio. That's not a ton of space. 
but we're able to grow all of that there. So a year's worth of tomato products, eating fresh for a family of four and that amount of space. Now we do grow paste tomatoes because from a preserving standpoint, a paste tomato is going to give you a large volume of product with the smallest amount of hands-on time when you go to make sauce. It doesn't have as much water in it as other varieties of tomatoes, which means you don't have to let it simmer as long to get that nice, thick, really full, bold flavored sauce. And I do this, so in that 10 by 20 foot square area, about 20 paste tomatoes, 20 to 25, uh, this year it's 20, that will take us through and produce enough for us out of this crops. And specifically, what kind of paste tomato, you ask? I get asked this a lot. Is Heirloom San Marzano Lungo. San Marzano Lungo. And you can always go to the blog post because every podcast episode has an accompanying blog post all written out for you. If you want to read it or if you just want to grab links and resources, you can do that. You can go to MelissaKinrest.com. Click on that podcast button. This is episode number 136. You'll see them all listed there for you in chronological order. Or simply type melissakinorris.com slash 136. And you'll get this episode because it's episode number 136. The rest of our garden space, and this is where I'm talking main summer annual vegetables. So think all of our green beans, all of our lettuce, all of our summer squash, cucumbers, zucchini, winter squash, acorn, spaghetti squash, butternut squash, carrots, onions, garlic, everything that we grow, my dill, (laughs) all of that is in our summer annual vegetable garden. That is only a 20 by 40 foot fenced in garden area. If you want to find out all of the crops that we raise a full year's worth, because like I said, all of the crops that we grow, I don't have enough to take us through an entire year, but quite a few of them we do. You can get the replay Now listen carefully. You can get the replay of my free plan and raise a year's worth of food masterclass, but it expires March 31st. Yes, Saturday. This is going live Friday, 24 hours, y'all. So it expires March 31st at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're on my email list, you would have gotten email notifications so you could have signed up and watched this in plenty of time. So if you're not on my email list, you need to get yourself there. And if you are on my email list, you're like, well, I didn't see that email. You got to check your emails from me. But you can go and grab that replay. No worries. You can go and grab it. You just got to do it super quick at melissakinrose.com slash food webinar. All one word, no spaces, food webinar. melissakinrose.com slash food webinar. You can also just go ahead and get that link if you want to come straight to the blog post. Okay, up to myth. Number two, you need a greenhouse in order to seed start or to raise a large majority of your food. Nada, 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 nada. While a greenhouse can be a lovely addition to your food raising efforts, so don't get me wrong, but it's not necessary, especially not for starting seeds. I don't actually start my seeds. I do have, full disclosure, I'll tell you here, I do have an off-grid greenhouse that I grow my tomatoes in and my peppers but I don't use it to seed start them and I don't use it to seed start anything else. Seeds and seedlings are pretty small. And if you've done your timing right, meaning you start them early enough indoors so that they have time 
so that you can plant them outside when it's ready for that specific plant. So for example, going back to my tomatoes here, I start 20 tomato plants about eight to 10 weeks before I can plant them outdoors. So I start them in March. I can plant them outside safely mid to end of May. I make sure I've got an eight to 10 week window there, start those little seeds. Now, if I were to start them 16 weeks prior, that would be way too long in the house and they're going to get really big. And because they're not outside in the sun and the soil, it's not going to work so well. So that's why I say there's a timing issue. But an eight-week-old tomato plant isn't really that big yet. And when they're little tiny baby seeds just sprouting, they're really small. So I grow all of our tomatoes from seeds, all 20 plants, in a two-foot by wide by four foot long section in just a little small corner of our living room and that square footage space that includes the grow light as i said we do use an off-grid greenhouse so no heat no electricity it's just greenhouse plastic over an old carport metal frame that you get like a costco or big box store you know kind of like those little makeshift canopy carports it's just one of those old frames and we put greenhouse plastic on it this is because we live in the Pacific Northwest and blight is a real issue and a real plague with tomatoes here because of our typical rainy, wet, cooler weather. But I don't start any of my seeds in it. And I did used to grow my tomatoes without it. But it has been the only way I've been able to eliminate all traces, no blight ever, and not have to deal with that. And we totally made it ourselves. So Having a greenhouse can be a great thing, but when it comes to seed starting, you totally don't need it. And you really don't need a greenhouse to grow things unless, like I said, Pacific Northwest specific issue that you can have in certain areas do and certain areas don't. If you live in a super cold climate, you're going to use, and our, so our greenhouse is basically kind of like a glorified high tunnel, really. It's not really a greenhouse where it's heated and it has fans and all of that. If you live in a really cold climate, High tunnels may be a necessity for you, but they're much cheaper than a greenhouse. It's just plastic and some type of framing. Myth number three, it takes a ton of time and I'm already super busy. Oh, my friend, do I get busy? So this homesteading mama, I used to work a day job and just up until September, I worked a day job. I worked as a pharmacy technician for over 18 years. Probably the last two years that I was working as a pharmacy technician, I was also putting in 30 plus hours a week on top of that with the blog, writing books, doing this podcast, founding and creating all of the lessons within the Pioneering Today Academy. And we still ran our full functioning homestead with my husband and two kids. And you know what that all includes. You've got your farm chores, cooking meals, cleaning house. You get the picture, right? Does it take time to grow your own food? Well, yes, it does. Of course it does. But does it take a ton of time? No, not really. It really doesn't. Let's average this out. I'll give you our average. We average about one to two weeks of hands-on, actually feet and hands in the garden, so to speak, during the growing season. So I'm going to say during May through mid-September, okay? Let's divide that out, though. That's per week. So divide that out by seven days. It's pretty much as little as 10 to 15 minutes a day to raise your own food. And that's over 50% of our fruits and vegetables for the entire year. You spend more time on that on Facebook. Well, averagely, probably. I know there's a few of you who aren't on Facebook, but 
society as a whole spends way more time on that watching TV or being on some type of electronic. Now, though, there is honestly a few times of the year you're going to spend more time in the garden. This is generally once a year or even once a lifetime occurrence. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you're putting in a brand new garden bed or say you are putting in an off-grid greenhouse or a regular greenhouse that is going to be heated, you're going to be spending at least a full day doing that, maybe a full weekend. It's going to be more than one to two hours for the week, right? Same thing if you are putting in a mini orchard or an orchard or a whole new area. You don't have any fruit plants. You're putting in a whole roll of blueberries. Well, that's probably going to take you a day or you'll break it up over the weekend. That's going to take you. But those type of projects, once they're in, they're pretty much in. And then you just have yearly maintenance. When we plant our annual garden in the late spring, so think your regular summer vegetable garden, that takes us about two to three hours, but it's only once a year. And then we just have the maintenance of keeping it watered and weeding and you know that type of thing. Now, when it comes to our perennials, that's pruning your fruit trees and bushes, doing any type of soil amendment, mulching, that type of thing. That takes us with the size of our mini orchard, about 40 raspberry canes, five blueberry bushes, here and there herbs, quite a few herbs, but herbs here and there. That takes us about four hours. So we usually will do a Saturday afternoon one weekend, and then the next weekend we'll do the other, what we don't get to, the next Saturday afternoon. But once a year, once a year. Divide it out over a couple weekends. Now, if you want more in-depth detail on actual timelines and all of that type of thing, you are really going to want to get that free replay that's only up through March 31st because I go into this in much more depth within that master class. So again, grab it in the show notes or go to melissakinorris.com slash food webinar. Okay, this is a big myth that I get quite often. And that is if you have a big garden, you've got livestock, you're raising the majority of your food, you can't go on vacation. Oh my goodness, y'all. Myth busted. We, as I have said, we raise all of our own meat and we are gone at least, at least two full weekends every single month during the summer and at least a full week in the summer for our yearly family vacations. Because living in the Pacific Northwest, you kind of get all of your sun is starting July 5th. It seems to always be the day after the 4th of July. You can almost count on rain on the 4th of July. So from July 5th to Labor Day weekend, you pretty much get the majority of your sunshine. So we take full advantage. So we are gone at least two to three weekends a month camping. We usually leave Friday morning, sometimes Thursday night, come back on Sunday. And then we always take a week of vacation and go and have family vacation somewhere. It's usually camping, too. That tends to be our vacations. We're we're big campers. But let's talk about that. When you've got livestock, you've got a big vegetable garden and all of that. Here's kind of how we make this work. For the vegetable garden, now your fruit trees, generally speaking, aren't going to need to be watered, especially if they're established. Now, if you're in an extreme drought situation, you may choose to water them once a month or once every couple weeks. But generally established fruit plants do not need watering like regular annual vegetables. So what we do is we make sure that our vegetable garden is well watered that entire week and before we leave on Friday. And then it's the first thing that we water when we get back on Sunday. So it's really going only going without water for one day. As long as you have been practicing deep watering, which is what you should be doing anyways, you generally 
aren't going to have to water every day. Now, if you live in the south or where it's super, super hot and dry, you may have to water every day. But if you have good soil, you probably aren't going to have to water every day. So I prefer to use a soaker hose instead of overhead sprinklers, if at all possible. And the reason for that is because it actually penetrates down into the dirt, gets down into the where the root of the plant is better and a lot more efficiently than overhead sprinkler. And then you're not using as much water because that soaker hose is laid right at the base of your plants, right where you want it to go. And it doesn't run off because it's this slow, right? Hence the word soaker hose mechanism. That's what I use, especially on my tomatoes, anything that has blight issues. I don't do overhead watering, just use the soaker hoses. So if you've been using that method, you're going to use less water too. Like it's just way better. And then you're not having to water all the time. So what I'll generally do is two or three times a week, I'll turn the soaker hoses on and I'll let them go for like eight hours overnight and then turn them off. And the water gets down. It gets a really good soaking. Then I don't need to water again for like three or four days. So this works really well for you to manage when you want to leave if you want to go on a vacation or be away from home overnight. Another thing you can do in regards to water is put a timer on your faucet and then it will turn on and then turn off at the same time for specified amount of times to water your garden and or your livestock. Or, of course, a trusted neighbor can turn it on and off for you. And I would definitely test those any type of time you're using automatic anything or timers Test them and still a good idea if you've got a person you trust that they can just come and make sure that they haven't malfunctioned if you're going to be gone, especially longer than just one night. Now, how do you go on vacation, though, when you got livestock? Because vegetable garden is one thing, but living, breathing animals, that would be another. But here's what we do. We make sure that their watering containers are large or we have multiples. This is key that they can't tip over. We have multiple watering containers in the chicken coops, and we use two large tubs for the cattle and then one large tub for the pigs because we don't have as many pigs and cattle are bigger, hence they're going to drink more water. You can also use automatic waters for your livestock tanks, but I would still recommend having someone check on the levels just in case of malfunction if you're going to be gone more than one night. So if you're looking at like three or four nights or a week, have someone that can stop in and check just because one, if it does malfunction and the water doesn't turn on, they can't go that long without water, right? On the flip side, what if it malfunctions and it's just pouring out water? Well, you're going to burn up your pump. We're on our own pump. We have a private well here in the country. It's our only option. Or, you know, if you were on a metered water, you're going to have a big old water bill. I still recommend having some way to monitor that. If you can have somebody else come and do it, they just have to check at it. They don't necessarily have to do anything just to make sure. Now, during the summer months, though, our cattle have plenty of grass, so there is no need for us to supplement their feed. We don't feed at all during the summer months. And when it comes to the flocks, our chickens, we know how much they eat each day, so I can set out extra feeders with enough food to take them through the amount of time that we're going to be gone. And if it's just overnight, I just set out some extra food and an extra waterer, and on our way we go. If it's longer than one night, that's when we'll have a neighbor check on things, and I'm lucky enough to have my brother and my parents live all on the same road. We've also got some great neighbors, and we've often exchanged. Sometimes they'll go on trips, and we'll check their animals, and then vice versa. So it works really well if you can do it that way. And then whoever's checking on the animals, 
they get to keep the eggs, right? Score. So there's some payoffs there. And then I've also, other homesteaders have done where they have just had someone come and house sit for them. It's typically, you know, like if it's a, I shouldn't say a younger teenager, but an older teenager who's very responsible and someone you trust fully, they'll stay at their house and keep an eye on the animals and that type of thing. So there's lots of different options, but you can totally do vacations. You have to do a little bit extra work before you go to make sure everything's taken care of. But like I shared, guys, we take vacations all the time in the summer months. Kind of the last myth or myth number five would be that it's just too hard. It's too much work to raise that much of your own food. You can go to farmer's markets. You can go to the store and buy groceries. There's no reason to put all of that much work in or you just feel overwhelmed by the amount of work. Well, I'm not going to lie and say that you're not ever going to have struggles with growing your own food because that would be an untruth. There's some years where the weather just will not cooperate. There have been years, y'all, there have been years where we have had to replant our garden three times because it rained on end for two weeks straight and was too cold. So nothing germinated and it was so wet that everything rotted in the ground. So we had to replant. And then we had like this freak cold snap that came through. So then anything that had sprouted normally in a typical year was totally our planting time, but nope, it, it got killed. So third time was a charm. But that was three times of replanting. Now, that's not typical, but it happens, even to experienced gardeners. You're going to have times in life where you have extra surprises thrown at you, so extra challenges that you just can't foresee. It happens. Sometimes you're going to have a crop that has done really well for you every single year, and for some reason, it is wiped out with a new disease or a new pest, and you don't have any crop at all from that plant. Now, usually it's not your entire garden. Usually it's just one specific plant. This actually happened to us with some zucchini a couple years back. I still am not sure if it was the seed. I had gotten some new seed. It hadn't been seed that I had saved myself, but it was not prolific. It wanted to just rot on the vine. Like the blossoms would start to form. It wasn't a pollination issue because they were they would start to form and they would just about get big enough to pick. And they would, I swear, overnight, they would just turn to mush. So we looked at blossom and rot, did some amending to the soil. Next year, used a completely new batch of seed and not an issue. But most of the time, zucchini, like we joke around here and say, come zucchini time, everybody's got so much zucchini, like don't leave your car unlocked at night or you might wake up and find zucchini in the seat of your car because people have just this overabundance of zucchini. So yeah, here I am. Talk about raising your own food, gardening expert, all of this. I had no zucchini for a year. I'm just telling you that it happens. But is it too hard? No, you learn. You learn. You learn and you go on. And you'll always learn something new every single year that you garden. I don't care how long you have been doing it. You'll have new challenges, but you'll grow and you'll learn new tips and tricks. And it's so worth it. Even having tons of different failures within my past, and I'm sure I will in my future, it is so worth it. That's why when I was working day job, my husband was working his day job, and I was doing 30 plus hours a week, we still had our full-size garden still preserved and put up all that food because it is just that worth it. But as I shared with you with those time frames, it really isn't that much time in the scheme of things. 
And I would love to help you cut your time down, cut down your gardening woes, because I have learned a lot of preventative things or things that I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have known this. It would have saved me so much angst over the years. So go and get, I know I heard it. You get to hear it again. Go and get that replay link for the next 24 hours and watch it for the free plan and how to raise a year's worth of food masterclass. And I'm just going to say, if you were wanting or thinking about joining the Pioneering Today Academy, you are really going to want to check out this masterclass. And before it goes away, this Saturday, March 31st. Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I simply adore that you take your time to spend it with me and that we get to talk about my very favorite things because not everybody gets this. There are so many people that have no idea why we would want to go through all of this work. Like I said, a lot of them will be like, we can just get that from the, you can just go go to the grocery store. You don't need to be Canada doing all that. We've got food. What's the point? But those of us who get it, we get it. We're kind of like a secret club, except we're not secret because we so want everybody else to join us on this journey. Thank you so much. And I will be here with you back next week.